identifies with his people that when we do something to one of God's children we do it unto the Lord that changes the way we treat people doesn't it It makes us think twice about what we're gonna do or should because we say how I treat somebody is I do it as unto the Lord now that reality of the oneness of God with his people is nowhere seen more profoundly than again at the cross of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we forget that what we do to others is not only seen by Jesus, it's as if we're doing it to Him. Pastor Daniel reminds us today that Jesus loves His children so completely and thoroughly that He feels their pain. He experiences their joys and cries with them in their sorrow. When we show kindness to others, we're also showing kindness to Jesus. This has the potential to change the way we approach our interactions with people. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message, War with the Midianites. All right, let's open up in your Bibles to the book of Numbers, chapter 31. Numbers, chapter 31, as we continue our study here through the book of Numbers, through the Bible chapter 31. If you're new to the Bible, don't worry about it. It's easy to find the book of Numbers. It's the fourth book in your Bible. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then the book of Numbers. This is the fourth of the five books. We normally say the five books of Moses or the Pentateuch, which literally means Pentateuch. Five is books, so five books. The introductory books, and really that sets the stage for the entire Bible. Now, one of the things that I love so much about studying verse by verse through books of the Bible is that you end up becoming forced to talk about things and study things that you wouldn't normally choose. See, if you've read the Bible at all, if you've spent some time in it, you realize that the Bible has lots of things in it, and a lot of things are extraordinarily challenging. Things that if the Bible was not written inspired by the Holy Spirit, but was solely written to make everybody happy, things that would never be in your Bible. And in a lot of ways, I think people would rather, if the Bible never challenged them or never had anything that just didn't appeal to them. One of the things that I always like to say is that if you can find a God who you agree everything with, you actually don't believe in God, you just believe in yourself. You know what I mean? So the problem with God is that God wants to change us and grow us, and God is infinite and we are finite. So the things of God have a tendency to be much more deep and complex than we often want. And we want to give almost in our hearts, we want to give spiritual lip service to God, but we really don't want to grapple with the heights and the depths of the character of God. And I'm here to tell you that Numbers chapter 31 is definitely one of those chapters. It runs right into a lot of our issues that we would have with Not only the Bible, but with the story of God, you have what we're going to read about God's vengeance on the Midianites through the children of Israel has been misconstrued and misinterpreted by all sorts of people to say, how could you believe in this God, this bloodthirsty God? 
But the key for us, we could do an entire sermon series over three years on the idea of the depths of what the vengeance of God actually means, how it relates to the whole of the Bible. So in 40 minutes, I can't give you the extensive treatment, but we can cover a lot of ground. So really, Numbers chapter 31, it picks up the storyline from Numbers chapter 25. Do you remember the Midianites king, he was scared of the children of Israel. And so he invited the prophet Balaam to curse them, right? But what happened was, is Balaam could only say what the Lord told him. And every time Balaam blessed them and the king got mad and this whole big thing was like three chapters of this whole story. But ultimately what ended up happening in Numbers 25, we find out that Balaam gave Balak this counsel that really what you need to do is you need to send the women of the Midianites down and they will seduce the men. And the men, because they're going to think with the wrong head, so to speak, it's just the, it's the truth. You know, they're going to worship the God of the Midianites and they're going to commit spiritual idolatry, spiritual adultery against the God of the Bible. And sure enough, Numbers 25 is all about that where literally the men of Israel are so seduced by the Midianite women that they literally, it's debauchery. And it became a big problem. And so, you know, there was the immediate plague that happened for the children of Israel. But now it's actually time for the principle of sowing and reaping for the Midianites to come to pass. And so really we pick up the story right there. So look at what it says in verse 1. It says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. Afterward, you shall be gathered to your people. So Moses spoke to the people saying, arm some of yourselves for war and let them go against the Midianites to take vengeance for the Lord on Midian. A thousand from each tribe of all the tribes of Israel you shall send to the war. So there were recruited from the divisions of Israel, 1,000 from each tribe, 12,000 armed for war. Then Moses sent them to the war, 1,000 from each tribe he sent them to the war with Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, with the holy articles and the signal trumpets in his hand. And they warred against the Midianites, just as the Lord commanded Moses, and they killed all the males. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those who were killed, Evi, Rechem, Zer, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian, Balaam, the son of Beor, they also killed with the sword. And the children of Israel took the women of Midian captive with their little ones and took as spoil all their cattle, all their flocks, and all their goods. They also burned with fire all the cities where they dwelt and all their forts. And they took all the spoil and all the booty of man and beast. Now you see why this is a challenging section, because really what we are confronted with is that in God's vengeance on the Midianites, God brokers in violence. And that's a challenging reality now, isn't it? Because there's a part of us that says, why would God do that? Now, this is important because if you want to understand the God who created everything, the God who gives us his word for a reason, 
everything we look at biblically, you need to look at through the eyes of the cross of Jesus Christ. How many of you ever heard it said that the God of the Old Testament is angry and the God of the New Testament is loving and gracious? A lot of us have. Well, guess what? Our Bibles tell us that God doesn't change. Notice this. God's ultimate act of vengeance and violence is actually the cross of Jesus Christ. You have to know that. See, the difference between the way God functioned in the Old Testament and the God functioning in the New Testament is that God said, look, rather than like I have done previously, pouring out all of my vengeance on a group of people for their sins, I'm going to pour it out on my son that whoever would believe in my son would be forgiven for the vengeance that they deserve. So you have to realize that the cross of Jesus Christ is God's just punishment against sin, all pointed on his own son, him taking that place instead of doing it upon us. Like so many people now with what's going on in America, God's going to judge America. It's like, no, no, God judged Jesus. We have to think through the cross of Jesus Christ, not just political gamesmanship in 21st century America. God put all of his punishment, all of his righteous anger on Jesus. The most violent act in history was God having his own son be crucified that whoever would believe in him would not be under the condemnation that they deserve. Okay? So that's the first thing. God doesn't change. Second thing, God's vengeance is actually a blessing. Didn't expect to hear that today, did you? God's vengeance is is a blessing. Let me explain to you why this is true. When God brings forth vengeance, God is judging what is evil, right? Because God is a perfect God, because God is a just God, and that word just literally means giving somebody what they deserve, God's vengeance is ultimately a blessing because God is bringing to right what has been wrong. So oftentimes when we see God brokering in violence like he's doing on the Midianites through the children of Israel here in Numbers 31, we're apt to say, I can't believe God would do that. And really the fact that God does not bring justice on somebody who has sinned immediately is actually an example of God's sheer grace. Do you remember when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. God said, if you eat of that fruit of that tree, you will what? Surely die. And when they ate of it, they didn't die immediately. And sometimes we think, well, if the punishment doesn't come immediately, then I'm off the hook. But God is long-suffering because he wants all of us to turn from our rebellion and enter into his embrace of forgiveness. So for the Midianites, what they, their sin against the children of Israel through the inviting of Balaam, through what happened at Baal Peor, the fact that God didn't immediately judge them, not only for these things, but all the mistakes that they've made in their entire life, is actually an example of God's sheer grace and patience, his long-suffering. The fact that you and I are still here today, given all the different things that we've done in our lives... Here enough today to be able to say, I put my faith and trust in Jesus that I might be forgiven of my mistakes. That all shows God's abundant grace. See, too often we struggle with passages like this because we think, how could God do that? Rather than thinking, how could God not do this? 
and not do it to us. See, our issue is that we all have a tendency to be soft on rebellion against God. Why? Because we're all rebellious against God. We don't have the moral authority because of our own issues to be able to say, that was righteous of God to do it because we're all saying, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And listen, if you can do it to them, then you can do it to me. And Lord, I don't want you to do it to me, so don't do it to them. Does it make sense? And so the reality of God's vengeance is literally God's vengeance is an act of God's goodness. Because God is declaring this thing is evil and this evil thing deserves judgment because it is evil and it is wrong and God is actually right to do it. But we never think about God's vengeance that way, do we? We struggle with it. But if we think about it biblically, this is what we find. And so for the Midianites... It is time for them to receive the just punishment for the mistakes that they've made. Now, what is interesting is that Moses is asked in verse 2 to take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. And then he says, afterward, you will be gathered to your people. So this is Moses' last campaign. This is his last job to do as the leader of the children of Israel. He had already sinned. He was not going to go into the promised land. So this is the last thing that he was supposed to do, his last act, so to speak. And so Moses, in verse 3, he speaks to the people and he says, arm some of yourselves for war and let them go against the Midianites to take vengeance for the Lord on Midian. Now, do you notice that? In verse 2, God says, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. And now, when you move down into verse 3, take vengeance for who? For the Lord. Anybody else noticed that before? That first it's take vengeance for the children of Israel. Now it's take vengeance for the Lord. How can that be so? Because there's a complete identification of the Lord with his people. That's why Jesus in the New Testament would say, if you give a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in my name, you do it to who? To me. Why on the Damascus road, when Saul of Tarshish was going to Damascus to arrest and imprison Christians, did he say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's a powerful reality that the Lord so completely identifies with his people that when we do something to one of God's children, we do it unto the Lord. That changes the way we treat people, doesn't it? It makes us think twice about what we're going to do or should because we say, how I treat somebody is I do it as unto the Lord. Now, that reality of the oneness of God with his people is nowhere seen more profoundly than again at the cross of Jesus Christ where Jesus became the sin of the entire world on that cross. Jesus completely identified himself in every way possible with humanity on that cross. Like every mistake you ever made or was ever made to you, I've ever made and was made to me. Jesus became that on the cross, complete and total identification. The apostle Paul, blown away by this, inspired by the Holy Spirit in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 said, he made him, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus completely identifies 
with humanity in its fallenness on the cross so that humanity can completely identify with Jesus' righteousness in the resurrection. And that is the good news of Christianity. The good news is that God is not distant, but he came close. And God said, look, I am going to be completely identified with you. And I know that there's someone here right now, maybe many of you, who are like, you know, God would never love me. I've done so much wrong. Listen, Jesus became your sin on the cross. He is so completely identified with everything you're going through, with everything that's happened to you. He became it and he received God's vengeance for that on the cross so that he could give you a brand new life if you'll let him. That's why it says in the book of Hebrews, we have a great high priest. Why? Because he can sympathize with our weaknesses. You know how sometimes you think nobody understands how I feel? Jesus understands how you feel. He can completely identify with all that you've gone through. You might say, oh, well, no, no, yes, no, he can't. Jesus was never married, so how could he understand the issues I have with my spouse? Listen, all the issues you have with your spouse, those sins, he became that on the cross. All of God's punishment he took out on Jesus. That's the Christian message. That God loved the world so much that he gave his son to stand in their place. That whoever would believe might have a brand new life. It's powerful, isn't it? I love that identification, the Lord with his people. When someone wrongs the people of God, they wrong the Lord. It's powerful. Now, what do we do with the idea of, because if you read this, you realize that this is holy war discussion. You know that, right? So you got to ask yourself, so if God sent the children of Israel to execute vengeance on the Midianites, and you have it, the Amalekites get it, lots of different people get it through the Bible, what do we do with it? Now listen, God ended holy war at the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ. That's why we can say, blessed are the peacemakers, because the peace that God wanted was brokered at the cross of his son. So we have no business going to holy war against another nation because Jesus wants to forgive them. Now, don't get me wrong. That does not mean that if somebody is invading our country, we should just let them do whatever they want. It does not mean that. Paul told us that we should live peaceably with all people when it's within our power. We should be peacemakers to the end. And if we can't, then we should protect ourselves without executing aggression or vengeance, because vengeance is the Lord's. See, one of the things we struggle with in our day and age, especially because we live in an empire that is, we've extended our interests nationally through war, is that we struggle to find that line between where is God's righteousness and his peace, and when is war truly just? And I don't know the answers to it. I just know that if you read your Bibles, you see that there's a tension there. What does it look like? What does it look like to live peaceably? But when does it also look like that it's time for righteousness to get involved, but not to be vengeful in the midst of it? Like when America entered World War II, that was actually a righteous act. Now, we may or may not have been righteous in all of our endeavors, I don't know. But when someone sees injustice, and the only way to stop injustice is through war, it does honor God for you to engage in that, but not to the point where you become wrathful and vengeful. And those lines, let's be honest, they're not clear lines. The key for you and I is that God's people need to ask those questions. We need to seek the Lord and read our Bibles and say, God, if you made peace on the cross, then how do I 
How do I involve myself in conflict in such a way that maintains the integrity of the finished work of Jesus, but also does not allow people to get hurt because of my inaction? That's not easy, is it? That's not easy. And I realize even saying that, I realize that in saying that, I rub everybody some way the wrong way. Because some people want to be purely passive, and some people want to be purely aggressive, and feel very strongly about it. And all I'm saying is that we all may land in different spots, but as believers, we need to see things through the finished work of the cross. And we need to say, God, how do we navigate a world that is not being lived and governed by God's principles? But how do we live in such a way that we do not allow someone else's sin to become our sin? We don't want to return evil for evil. We want to return good for evil. But how do we do that in a way that isn't us omitting God's righteousness in our actions? So I gave you guys more questions, right? But like the Bible's a deep book and these are the questions that begin to come on out into the open as we study a text like Numbers 31. And that's why probably in your entire life, you've never been to a church where I'm saying, we're going to study Numbers 31. Unless you go to like one of these churches that, that God hates everybody. Then they roll that thing out every Sunday. Look at this. This is our proof text. So you realize there's a lot of stuff there. And I'm not saying I have all the answers, but my encouragement as a pastor, as a brother, as a fellow sojourner with Jesus is to say, we need to think about our world, not from the news into the Bible, but from our Bible out into the world. The Bible needs to inform, how do we do this? And it's an amazing thing. There's a theologian named Miroslav Volf who wrote a book called Exclusion and Embrace. And he's from a region where there's lots of fighting with other local ethnicities. And he literally says the only way to truly not act in vengeance is to trust the God who will ultimately bring righteous judgment. He said the only way for there to be peace among historical rivals is through belief in a God where vengeance is his and he will repay. Because without that, we end up trying to make peace, never really believing that righteousness will reign. And this is from a guy who literally his ethnicity has been in war with other ethnicities for thousands of years. And there's been all sorts of evil things that have gone on. And he's literally speaking into some of these conflicts. Like, no, we need to lay down our arms and we need to trust that God will do it. That only because of belief in God setting things right will keep us from a rebellious version of us trying to set things right. Powerful. Okay. A thousand from each army. So you end up with 12,000 soldiers, right? He sends them out to war. Notice he sends them out with Phineas, the son of Eliezer, who remember Phineas was the protagonist of the ending of the plague in response to the Midianites back in Numbers 25. Remember, there was that man and that woman and they were desecrating the temple. And literally Phineas, the son of the high priest, takes a javelin and thrusts it through both of them and it stops the plague. So Phineas is actually going out along with different holy instruments here, the holy articles, the signal of the trumpet in hand. And notice it says in verse 7, they warred against the Midianites just as the Lord commanded, and they killed all the males. Jesus is real. Pastor Daniel made a good point today. The world shouldn't dictate how we read our Bible. Instead, the Bible should be our source for how to deal with the world. Though passages can be controversial, God still has much to teach us throughout the Word. 
Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel Fusco here. I'm the lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church. I love that God invites all of us to be a part of His family, and I wanted to invite you to be a part of my family of faith in Vancouver. Services on Sundays at 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 1 p.m., or in Southwest Portland, our service on Sundays at 10 a.m., as well as midweek services Wednesday at 7 p.m. at both campuses. We would love to have you join us, and if you're at a distance, check us out on our internet campus, crossroadslive.tv. I look forward to seeing you soon. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel reminds us that all we have and all we are belongs to God. It's only by His grace and provision that we're even alive. As we serve God, we need to remember that what we have is on loan. We need to care for it. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series entitled Preparation. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.